0: Olympics and Paralympics podcast. I'm your host Jackie and once again today I'm joined by Dan. So how are you?
1: I'm great thanks Jackie. It's uh, It's been a busy week. There's plenty going on um, and I don't even know where to catch up with all of this but it's a, a great time to be following along with the Olympics and Paralympics movement. How are you going?
0: Yeah I'm pretty good. Um, as you said it's crazy keeping up with everything like even just me following like the sports that I would follow in a normal non like Olympic season year I'm just like all right everything's insane I forgot that Olympic season was madness from the start it's not just when the Olympics hit
1: no absolutely I think we've forgotten about that because the Summer Olympics kind of built along pretty slowly because there was so much doubt about them happening but we're now three months away from the Winter Olympics and there's a lot less doubt about the fact, you know, there's no, like, if they happen, they, they'll happen, they'll be successful, and they're going to be really exciting. So what's something you're really looking forward to about the Winter Olympics?
0: Well, I think this surprises no one that listens to the Ascending Olympus podcast. Mine is figure skating, but I thought I'd, like, go a little more in depth. Um, two things specifically. Um, I'm hoping to see... Alexandra Stepanova and Ivan Bukin compete for the Russian Olympic Committee. Uh, They missed out on the last Olympics because of the way that the Russian bans happened. But it was never actually a like, they failed a drug test kind of thing. But more specifically, I'm excited to see Yuzuru Hanyu hopefully win his third consecutive Olympic gold medal. Uh, Really solidifying that he is the GOAT.
1: But that's, that's a pretty unpopular take there, isn't there, Jackie?
0: No, it's an incredibly popular take. Uh, the
1: Nathan <laughs> Zuruhanu... Chen's not going to take gold?
0: <laughs> it's probably a like controversial take among non-fan uh, use, so Yuzuru fans. But yeah, I'm not personally a fan you. I have a great appreciation for his skating. But at the same time, I'm just like, it's never been done before and I really want to see it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can get behind that.
0: Um, so what about you <laughs> for the Winter Olympics
1: at least? Well, I mean, it's it's not a, a secret that, um, you know, the Winter Olympic sport that is closest to my heart is the bobsled. <laughs> um, you know, there's been any number of cool running jokes for a little while now. <laughs> but I'm really excited. Australia is fairly likely to have its first ever female bobsled team at the Olympics.
0: Which? So, should have That's,
1: happened last time. <laughs> well, it should have happened last time, but the fact that Bree and Ash have both bounced back from the disappointment in 2018, and they're both mounting a campaign to go, and it looks like fingers crossed, one of them's going to get to go, and you know that will still be decided. And there's plenty of excitement there, but the fact that we'll be having a female bobsled team is really exciting, um, and hopefully, it's going to be the start of a new age of dominant Australian sliding for the next decade and a half
0: yeah oh man I would love to see it uh I'd also add something that we're both probably looking forward to is the addition of more mixed sports oh yes oh <laughs> <the> yes <Olympics. laughs> this um, is and-
1: a soapbox I am not getting off the <laughs> mixed relays at the Summer Olympics were brilliant you can't tell me that the best two TV moments of the summer olympics were not the mixed swimming relay where we watched caleb dressel try and run down emma McKean. <laughs> yes or the four by 400 mixed uh the four by 100 mixed athletics relay where we had one woman running ahead of the field as the men mowed her down you can't tell me that those weren't some of the best theatrical moments of the olympics i am so on board with the tactics and the theories and the excitement behind mixed relays and mixed sports, and I can't wait for them to join the Winter Olympics.
0: Yeah, so a big one I'm looking forward to specifically, um, and it's mostly because it is one that Australia is hopefully going to be successful in, is the mixed snowboard cross, which the team will very, very, very likely be current world champions, Jared Hughes and Bel Brockhoff, who won the world championships, I think, in late February or early March of 2021. Um, it's a pretty new event. They are very good at it. And Jared is already an Olympic silver medalist in the men's snowboard cross from 2018. So hopefully we can break our. I think it's getting close to like a 10-year drought um, of gold medals with these two in the snowboard cross.
1: I love the sound of current world champions, Australia. Like that's <laughs> that's such a good sound in winter sports. We don't hear it enough, but. The fact that we've got Brockoff and Jared Hughes carrying that banner is super exciting. And I really hope that it can become current gold medalists, Jared Hughes and Brockoff That would be the dream.
0: Olympic gold medalists. <laughs> Australia's <laughs> favourite thing ever. <laughs> um, but we'll move on to some summer sports still, we are obviously going to come back to the winter sport. That'll be the back half of this episode. But... There's a lot of swimming stuff going on at the moment. We'll start with the less exciting news, and that is there is talks of boycotts for the International Swimming League later this month now because it is November.
1: Yeah, it's a bit sad and a bit concerning, but what it looks like is that there's a lack of payment to athletes, swimmers, and contractors, uh, which are three fairly key stakeholders (laughs) to to the international swimming league um, and there's been a commitment that uh, the athletes will be paid in full by november 11 which is when the playoffs are set to kick off but it's going to be really interesting to see. and the isl was hailed as this revolutionary way to keep swimming relevant in between the olympic years and you know hopefully it will because there's been some fantastic swimming recently but there's some concerns that it's not going to work i mean Emma McKeon um, has earned about thirty thousand dollars Australian um, in the ISL. Maddie Wilson's just under twenty five, um, and Caleb Dressel is uh, is far and above that as well. So there's a fair bit of concern about the fact that they aren't getting paid just yet, and obviously that does need to change. So hopefully we see that come through, and we do get to enjoy what should be a really exciting playoff series because you and I were looking at the format of that, and that looks wild. Uh, But it would be a bit of a shame, but definitely very understandable from an athlete and volunteer perspective if the contractors and the staff and the athletes are not being paid.
0: Yeah, and... It's, oh man, it's one of those things that just kind of does my head in a little bit is it's just like why are athletes and contractors as well, like why are people not getting paid for their work for this massive event that has the potential to be huge and if you stuff it up this early, like it then loses a lot of its potential and momentum over this Olympic quad. I am still excited to see the playoffs. I'm hoping that there isn't any boycotts because... Everyone gets paid properly, obviously, is the hope. But um, just the way that the ISL is run is so cool and so different to what we're used to in swimming as well because it's not club teams, it's not country-based teams, it's a whole mixture of people all together in the one team.
1: Yeah, I mean, the franchise are fantastic. And as we saw last weekend at the final leg of the World Cup in Kazan, there are some swimmers in ripping form at the moment. I mean... Carl Chalmers has taken a, a, a sledgehammer to the record, basically, in the 100-metre freestyle. Um, he took uh, 0.1 of a second off a 13-year-old record. Yeah, that is, and he
0: was, like, he was 0.09 off of it the week
1: before. He took 0.1 of a second off of World record for 13 years, and he was a second and a half ahead of second. That is... That is about as dominant as it gets in hundred meter swimming. But like,
0: <laughs> I've watched that race like three times now because it's on his Instagram and it is very entertaining. Like, just to like be like, oh, like he's chasing that world record line. Oh, it's so close! It's so close! And then it see, like pops up with the world record, and you're just like, yeah. <laughs> Not only is it Australian, but it's just a world record that that's that all getting broken.
1: Yeah, and it, that's a super suit record um, as well. So it's really exciting to see that we are starting to push back to, to seeing some of those records that have stood in the swimming record books for a long time now. They are going to start to fall, hopefully. And seeing Carl Chalmers in that sort of form is great news as well because you, know, we were talking in February, he was having career-threatening shoulder surgery. Yeah. There were questions about whether he was going to make Olympic trials, let alone the Olympics, and to finish with a silver medal at the Olympics and you know, be pretty thrilled about it was a, a sign. But I don't think anyone saw this coming.
0: No, um, it's not that you'd be foolish to see it coming. It's just that you wouldn't expect this record to be getting broken full stop um, is the big part of it. At least not in this current form. And yes, we saw a whole bunch of Olympics and Paralympics world records get broken in Tokyo. But at the same time, like short course swimming is very different. It's a lot faster because you have that advantage of pushing off the wall and one of a second when you're actually like improving your most recent time by 0.19 as well, like <laughs> it's not, you can't scoff at it. It's insane. <laughs>
1: I mean, I, I'm scoffing at it because it's the only reaction I can have. Like, <laughs> if, I don't, I don't know how else to to recognize just how good that that swim is.
0: I will say this is something that just kind of annoys me about the World Cup. I don't like watching swimming when there's music playing in yeah, the venue. No,
1: you and I are agreeing on this. I can't, can't get behind that.
0: <laughs> it's so weird. I'm like, there's a crowd there. Just let them cheer really loudly. That's way more fun.
1: <laughs> Oh, well, but. It's, it's, not, it's a good thing we don't run <laughs> the World Cup in the ISL. I think we'd have some some different things to say about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, do we want to talk about the World Cup? Because there's some pretty exciting news, and that is in the fourth and final World Cup event, Australia led the medal tally finally.
1: <laughs> we did, <laughs> and it was spectacular. It was on the back of our powerhouse women again. Yes. Everyone's favourite, uh, Emma McKeon and uh, the incredibly informed, given she had COVID six weeks ago, Maddie Wilson.
0: Shout out to Leah Neal getting the 400 and 800 free, which the 800 free in a short course. That's a lot of laps. (laughs) That's more laps than the 1500 in a normal length pool. And then also Holly Barrett winning gold in the 50 fly. The really impressive one, I believe it was the fifty freestyle where we actually had a podium sweep,
1: which <laughs> <Hey, laughs> we have not had yet. Um, there's that. been
0: there's been other countries that did podium sweeps. Whatever, care about Australia getting podium sweeps? <laughs> and yeah, um, so Holly Barrett took bronze, then Maddie Wilson took silver, and Emma McKeon naturally took gold.
1: <laughs> I'm shocked! <laughs> like, <laughs> it's you great. It's great to see the recognition <laughs> for those brilliantly talented swimmers, and they've had great seasons. Um, Ollie Barrett obviously has fallen under the radar a little bit, having not been to the Olympics, but she's been swimming well throughout this World Cup. She's done really well; she's had, I think, five podium finishes now. Um, and then you've got Maddie Wilson, who, you know, not long ago was was in Italian hospital with COVID, and Emma McKeon, who's basically not looked like she's got out of third gear all season and yet hasn't really struggled to break records at any point but it's great to see them all having a chance to share the podium together
0: yeah um I'm a big fan of a podium sweep it was something that I loved about the Paralympics I think it happened four times in the end and the Italian sprint podium sweep was my favorite but when it's Aussies doing it it's just so much better Really but is. I want to like add on top of that so we won nine gold medals for this event which the previous ones it was six six and seven I think um the next best was five Eight. and they are under FINA club which I believe is just Russian athletes but also then there's the Russian federation that did compete so it's from like how does the math for this one actually work out I don't fully understand it but I like that it's like Australia not even actually a country or federation, (laughs) and then it's a federation in third.
1: We do love that. We do love a dominant Australian performance, and our swimmers have certainly provided that all season and over the weekend at Kazan in the World Cup.
0: Yeah, and like Emma McKeon is obviously the biggest example of that because she was the best-performing female swimmer in that she was, I think, third in total medals and second as far as gold medals are concerned. But that ended up with her being awarded the top swimmer of the event, which can't fault her.
1: And well deserved.
0: <laughs> yeah. But we'll move on to your favorite. Uh, so mine's figure skating, yours is cycling. We're in
1: by wheelhouse. Pardon the pun.
0: <laughs> you're not sorry for the pun.
1: <laughs> no, you're right. I'm not. Um, but We talked about how excited the ISL is and this is a pretty similarly exciting and wild event. So we're about to have the inaugural UCI Track Champions League. Basically what it is is there are 36 riders who are competing in a series of kind of new track events. There are 12 sprinters and 10 endurance riders taking on a series of different events. Um, We've got the elimination race, an Omnium, a scratch race and a points race, in each of the endurance and some serious sprint cups um, going on. So it's going to be really exciting to see. And it's a chance to bring kind of that energy that we talked about at the Swimming World Cup and the ISL into cycling. And you know, track cycling has long been considered a, a purer sport, a traditionalist sport. And this is a chance for athletes to make a name for themselves. And my favorite part of all Equal prize money. yes. Equal prize money for men and women. And we love that. It's short form racing. It's going to be high adrenaline. Um, and the men and the women are going to be treated equally. And I can't wait to watch.
0: Yeah. oh, And it's sure to be very entertaining. The track cycling at both the Olympics and the Paralympics was some of the most exciting um, events, not even necessarily based on Australian performances, just on madness happening
1: (laughs) well yeah and we've got two Australians um in the in the group of writers so we've got Annette Edmondson and Kellen O'Brien both of whom are endurance writers both of them trained together and um trained together but um it's really exciting to see them because O'Brien has talked about the fact that he's been a bit disappointed with how his season's gone and ended and This is probably his last big hurrah on the track for a little while because he's moving on to the road next year and he's going to try and bounce the two, but I think the road's going to be a big thing. And for Nettie Edmondson, this is kind of close to wrapping up her career. You know, this is probably her last run at the Olympics. She might be around for the comp games next year, but she's been around the block for a long time. And this is a pretty cool high point on the back half of her career, so Along with her, there are some seriously good riders. Um, we've got Ed Clancy, six-time European champion, Sebastian Mora in the men's. In the women's, we've got Katie Archibald, who's a two-time gold medalist, three-time world champion. We've got no, Kirsten Wilde, who's an eight-time world champion and a bronze medalist. <laughs> Nettie Edmondson, who herself is a three-time world champion. Um, Yumi Kajihara, who was a silver medalist at her home Olympics and is the rating UCI world champion. So there is some high quality riding um, and there'll be 48 riders who qualify for each of the last races. And we've got uh, elimination race, omnium scratch race, points race in the endurance. And we've got the sprint cup, which will be really exciting. So the first round kicks off on the 6th of November in Mallorca. And we end on the 11th of December in Tel Aviv in around five. So plenty to look forward to over the next few weeks in the track cycling.
0: And at horrible times for Australians.
1: Horrible times for you. I'm up at 5 a.m. I don't know what you're complaining about.
0: Hey, I'm not saying that I'm not up at 5 a.m. because I haven't gone to sleep occasionally. It's it's
1: all right. You can cover the Lithuanian (laughs) leg and the Tel Aviv leg, which kick off at 3 a.m. And I'll cover Mallorca, London, and London, which could go off at 5 a.m. Australian time.
0: Man, London's got a good deal doing two in a row. <laughs> that sounds like a deal.
1: They're also back-to-back days in London. So that'll be a Ooh. real test for the riders to be able to back up from a pretty big program to do it again the next day. Yeah, but true. But as much as it's really exciting to see equal pay, in the UCI World Championships. We've got another pretty cool record for female participation in sports, Jackie, at the 2022 Winter Olympics coming up.
0: Yeah. um, (laughs) Well, I mean, Tokyo 2020 was the best Olympics of all time for female participation. It was 49% in the end, I believe. Uh, The Winter Olympics will also have a record high female athletes ratio are uh, 45.2%. Obviously not as impressive, but there are some events that are bigger as far as like the numbers are concerned for the athletes to rec- compete like uh four-man bobsled that you don't have in the women's, they just have yep. the two and the mono. Uh but in the end it's a big deal that like they can are committed to continuing to grow it and get closer and closer to that 50-50.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's seven new events as well. So we are seeing that growth and, um, you know, there are more women's events than men's events being added because we've got uh, the women's monobob coming in. The other new event that's really on my radar is the big air freestyle. That looks like it's going (laughs) to be so much fun to watch.
0: (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah. I mean, those, any kind of like freestyle skiing or snowboarding events are just pardon the joke but like they are wicked
1: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely are
0: but yeah I just I look at it and I only see positives I'm sure some people are like well women's sport is not as interesting uh, all sport is pretty damn cool when it comes to winter olympics because there's a well, lot I mean, of crazy stuff
1: and and the women's sport is going to be fantastic I mean to see something like a monobob come to the olympics is going to be really exciting um, and anyone who doesn't like women's sport, I refer to uh, Noly on Twitter who can have a discussion with them. <laughs> yes. Noly, that's yours.
0: I guess in your mentioning of big air events, there's something interesting that's come out of the uh, media this weekend. <laughs> it, I saw it and was just like, all right, I'm adding this to the news list because it is possibly the most insane thing I've ever seen. Uh, so Chinese media is reporting that Two Chinese athletes, one training in Switzerland and the other training in Austria, have pulled off some uh, never-before-seen moves that, if they've got these and they've got them by the Olympics, I'd be terrified just to even watch them. Uh, So (laughs) Yang Wenlong, who is the one training in Switzerland, completed a cab triple 1980, then we have seventeen-year-old Su Yiming who completed a a backslide, nineteen eighty. indie the well, training in Austria, so <laughs>
1: nineteen eighty is five and a half rotations, isn't
0: it? Yeah, and there's and twists a, a, in there.
1: A triple, and it.
0: I. It,
1: it doesn't work.
0: <laughs> no, it doesn't work. It just doesn't. It doesn't work in my own brain. That's why I want to see it, and then. I'll probably be looking like through my fingers, just being like, "No, no, don't fall!" Because <laughs> if they crash, it's not going to be pretty.
1: I mean, the triple, I think, is is a bit more manageable. That's not it's like it's it's having enough air to be able to do five and a half rotations on a single jump.
0: Well, but I wonder if it's the tr- is it five and a half twists or is it? three twists with five and a half rotations no i
1: think it's i mean my my guess and i'm not a an expert but it sounds like in my head and knowing what i know about skating i would say it's um you know it's three twists and five and a half rotations is my guess i don't know whether the same applies but that would be insane
0: yeah i look at it from a gymnastics perspective and a triple double is a double flip and a triple twist um and that's where i'm just like but in that case that further argues that the triple because it's mentioned first is the twist
1: (laughs) either way i think we can agree that is absolutely insane and i really want to see it
0: it's madness i yeah i want to say it sure but also like please don't break your neck because that's horrifying I will say i take it i take it a little bit with a grain of salt just because it is coming out of like specifically only chinese media um at the same time though why why about it if they're potentially bringing this out for the olympics like yeah, yes I mean, it'll strike fear in the hearts of their competitors but if they can't do it what's the point
1: we're all gonna want to see it now at the olympics so that's uh very exciting and yeah. um Speaking of things that kind of don't make any sense, um, Jackie, can you explain what happened at Skate Canada this weekend? Because I was looking no. at the scores and I don't understand.
0: Don't understand how Nathan Chen won by like I think it's forty-eight points.
1: Yeah, th- I mean that that's that's point one. <laughs> <laughs> What's point two? It's, you were talking about how much he, sc- he scored? Like three hundred and something.
0: 307.18 <laughs>
1: That that also doesn't like that also sounds like something that needs an explanation.
0: It's less weird than it sounds. Okay, I'll start with the second point. Um so to get a 300 score it is pretty significant. Very few skaters can do it. Even fewer skaters have been able to do it since 2018 cuz they changed the scoring system slightly. Uh, it means that you essentially have to be perfect in your short program and Next to perfect in your free skate. So in his short program, he got an 106.72. Pretty exemplary score. He might have lost points for some GOE stuff or some PCS um, marks. And then in the free skate, he got a 200.46. It's also an incredible score. It basically means that he didn't like pop any jumps, which means not do the intended rotations. I think he had a step out or something. That was like the error. His world record score in the free skate is like thirty points higher. Like his world record is ridiculous. Um, Yeah, (laughs) world record. Sorry, not thirty points higher of two hundred and twenty-four point nine two. His combined world record score, which is a three hundred and thirty-five point three.
1: That would be ten points better in the short program and twenty points better in the freestyle. Both of which were in the short, but yeah. Both of which were pretty much perfect.
0: Yeah. Um, so <laughs> different judges, different things. These judges, little bit, little bit kooky, a little bit crazy to give some big scores out. Um, it's very early in the season. There's like a whole other score that I'm going to talk about, which is absolutely nuts. But yeah, his nearest competitor, which was fellow countryman Jason Brown, who trains in Canada, so that's a big reason why he was at this event, um, he was pretty damn good as well. He doesn't do any quads, so his scores are naturally going to be lower because it's just a base value that's lower. He got a 94 in the short program, which that is a score that a lot of the top skaters would say is, a, you made a mistake but it's a good score it could have been lower it could have possibly been a few points higher um but yeah and a 94 is nothing to be like oh he skated terribly um and then he got an 165.55 which free skate was a fair bit messier uh but at the same time like that's also not a terrible score um anywhere between 160 and 180 it's like there is an assumption that mistakes were made but um it wasn't a disaster if a skater like jason brown is getting a 150 to 140 to 150 then you'd be like oh something went wrong like something went bad but he ended up with a 259.55 he was the closest to nathan
1: chen that is insane
0: yeah. Um. So Team USA went one and two. Nathan Chen is probably now guaranteed to make the Grand Prix final just because that total point score. Um. If there is a tie, like someone else got first and third in an event, um, his total points should actually push him up because it is scored of like if you get first, you have fifteen points. I think third's worth ten or something like that, and so on and so forth down the list. Um. So it's a good chance he's going to make the final. Jason Brown, depending on how he goes in his next event, um, also a decent chance of making the final. I think though that there's skaters like we haven't even seen um two-time Olympic gold medalists user Hanyu yet. So until we've seen him, seen Mikhail Kajander, there's a, you just cannot count your chickens. There's only six spots in this Grand Prix final as well, and it's from two skate or oh, yeah two competitions you have to compete at to get there. But, all right, we'll go to the other one where me, I was actually like, this is insane. Um,
1: Grand Premier, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. It's in the women's event, which it went to plan in the sense that the Russians had a podium sweep. Uh, so, Camilla ever won, to Tuktamysheva came second, and Aliona Kostanaya came third. But a million value broke a world record again <laughs> like i don't isn't, it,
1: isn't a little bit early in the season to be breaking world records
0: i would say so yes um that's partially my personal opinion i just think it's their scores are too early like too high too early um she's got high content marks but also like you are actually expected to improve as the season goes on and so if she's peaking right now, that's bad for the Olympics. That's bad for Russian nationals at the end of December if she's peaking now. Um, it's not the first world record she's broken this year either. That's like the ridiculous part of it. She broke one at an earlier season, uh, competition this season. But she got an 180.89 in her free skate Uh which was the world record. She got an 84.19 in the short program, not a world record because I believe Anna Shabakova holds that world record currently. And it's an 85 or something like that. And then the free skate, she had a combined total of, sorry, she then had a combined total of 265.08, which is also a new world record. And I just, I saw it and was just like jaw drop like
1: that's a massive score for this early in the season
0: i will add that it's like not only a massive score she's smashed this world record like the world record previously which she set was a 249 and she broke the previous world record by a significant amount when she did that it's
1: (laughs) we're back to the counting
0: yeah Um, where do the points come from the GOE she's getting uh, very very high Um, but at the same time I don't actually have my own explanation slash justification as to why these scores are as high as they are especially when once again the women have a component score that is factored at 0.8 0 point, yeah, 0.8 in the short program and 1.6 in the free skate so like their max score there is like a ceiling for what their score can possibly be and she's not doing like everything that she can do like this score can grow if she adds more quads that she technically has in her arsenal um, whether she uses them at this point she's so far ahead of everyone else why bother <laughs> risking it
1: I guess if you want to perfect it so that you can make sure there's no competition at the Olympics.
0: <laughs> That's true. Um, I will add the fourth through six was also very interesting. I'll start with Wakaba Higuchi who finished in sixth. She came fifth and fifth in her short program of free skate, but because of the other results, uh, ended up as sixth with her combined score, which is just one of those like really unfortunate things. She is amazing. She is someone that a lot of, Japanese like not just people that are Japanese but fans of the Japanese skaters would say is underscored um so say what you will her short program score probably should have hit cracked the 70s but it was a 69.41 uh in fifth Alyssa Liu from the United States uh combined score of 206 she's i think that's just booked her her olympic ticket she got that third spot for the americans already but she's consistently getting over 200 points sure she didn't win but she's consistently finishing in the top five with oh someone breaking world records but the big one which if we talk about we talked about like um Maddie Wilson and other athletes who have performed really well after injury. Mai Hara has, this is like her first actual full season back after spending quite a fair bit of time in hospital due to illness. Um, and she's finished seventh in the short program, but actually had the third highest score in the free skate. So finished with a 210 and finished fourth overall, which is very impressive so considering impressive. like she wasn't, she didn't skate for nearly a year. Um, yeah, I mean,
1: to be back like that is a really good sign to of the Olympics because she's obviously still got a few months to get sorted, three to be precise. So yeah. it's a good, good chance for her to be in tip-top form come Olympic trials and then Olympics.
0: Yeah, she's not even, like, Japan has so many excellent ladies, the same way the Russians do. So um, she's not even necessarily in my planned top three, but I think she's definitely making the case for herself right now
1: yeah I mean you you come like that and that's how you get into calculations pretty quickly
0: yeah uh I'll move on to pairs um (laughs) I said last week that the Chinese were gonna win and the Chinese did a little bit more than win they won by 30 points um
1: again that seems like a lot
0: yeah it is a lot I mean the fact that they led after the short program by 10 um and then well actually sorry they led by 9.5 if I'm being technical but still huge, and then they won the freeze game by, like, 22 points as well. Um, the Russians who finished in second, Pavlyuchenko and and they're also fantastic. They have really good transitions. Um, solid argument for them to be getting sent to the Olympics as one of the Russian teams. But it's just further proof that I don't think anyone's touching sweat and this year. <laughs> like, First competition of the year, fair. win by 30 points against not necessarily your top competition, but like pretty solid competitors. It
1: does sound a little bit like Sway and Han can probably start looking for um, something to hold their gold medal in.
0: Yeah. I mean, they won silver in Pyeongchang. Um, say they're due.
1: <laughs> I think Tom Daly knit some nice pouches. If you get ahead, you could probably <laughs> pre-order those.
0: I, yeah, surely he's going to have, like, not necessarily an Etsy store. I think that he can have his own store himself and just be like, the Tom Daley store of metal holders.
1: Yeah, I think being oh. an Olympic medalist entitles you to that kind of thing.
0: <laughs> um, and then the ice dance. So the kind of predictable happened in the Piper, Piper Gillies and Paul Poirier won. Uh, One by 10 points, which... As Dan would say, sounds like a lot. Kind of is. Um, Their rhythm dance score was just way higher than everyone else. Uh, The Italians actually ended up coming in second with Girand and Fabri with a 200. And then Smart and Diaz, who are from Spain, who are... There's only one spot for the Spanish ice dance teams and... This is a good case for them to go to the olympics they've got to like there's european championships and spanish nationals that's what's gonna like decide who actually goes but the way they've started the season i think that they're a pretty good chance at this point
1: <laughs> yeah it does sound like it i mean they're certainly building into the right sort of form that you want to be in at this point in the season maybe even ahead of schedule a little bit so we'll see what happens
0: but yeah, there is another competition this weekend. As I said, there's pretty much one every week until the first weekend of December. Uh, so week three, which typically we have an event called the Cup of China, affectionately called Cup of Disaster because people just skate terribly at it. It doesn't sound that
1: affectionate.
0: <laughs> it, it is in the sense of it's just like, oh, Cup of Disaster strikes again. Um, typically, it's just the men and the women that have really bad weekends. Pears and ice dance normally get away with it. But it got cancelled this year because of, you know, COVID. And the Italian Skating Federation stepped up and we are now having Grand Primo Italia. Uh, and as it is still, like, technically the Chinese event a little bit as well, China got to send a pretty kitted out team they've got two in two teams in every event aside from the women's and the italians are getting to send as well two in everything and three in the pairs but we'll start with the men's uh big names to look out for uh china's jin boyang he is a former world bronze medalist came fourth at the olympics in pyeongchang he can be a bit hit and miss there's been some scary falls (laughs) <laughs> Jin. But, yeah, I would say that he is a good shot to podium. Uh, another one is World Silver Medalist, one of the few skaters aside from Nathan Chen to beat Izuru Hanyu in the past couple of years, Yuma Kagiyama. Uh, he's actually probably my favourite to win this event. And then there is a bit of a Russian showdown between Dmitry Aliyev, Mikhail Koyada, who is the top Russian man, and Peter Gminnik,
1: Sounds like it's going to be a tight race for for those podium spots at this weekend's competition.
0: Yeah, uh, the ladies, a little bit less tight. I wouldn't say that the Russian podium is as guaranteed, like the Russian sweep on the podium, unlike um, the past two weeks. So Mahara is back for Japan, uh, as well as fellow countrywoman Satoko Miyahara, both gorgeous skaters um don't necessarily have the best technical elements like their jumps are just they don't get super high off the ice but absolutely gorgeous just make you suck you in while you're watching them uh the russian team anna shabakova who is the current world champion um she's been injured recently so no one really knows how she's gonna perform she didn't do very well at russian test skates which is not a score event, but this is the first time we're actually properly seeing her. And I think that it's going to tell us whether she's actually a chance of making this Olympic team based on how severe these injuries are. Uh, there's also former European champion, Sophia Samadarova. I'll say that I believe that Satoko and Mai are better skaters uh, and should score higher. And then one of the ones that has come up from juniors this year, along with Camilla Valieva, um, Maya Kromt, Honestly, I think she's actually a good chance of winning silver. There's also the South Koreans who are good shots at podiuming. Lim Inso, uh, another really gorgeous skater, but she under rotates a lot. And then Ye Kim, who is probably underappreciated as far as Korean skaters are concerned. There's just so many, like the same way with the Japanese women, there is a lot of really talented Korean skaters. Uh, a lot of them take advice from former gold medalist unit Kim, who is beloved in the figure skating community. Pairs, I'm not actually going to, like, really touch on pairs for very long because I'm going to tell you, Sway and Han are going to win. And then second Chinese pair, Peng and Jin, going to get silver. And then probably the Italians are going to get <laughs> bronze. So
1: um, I'll put my money on Sway and Han. This week and every week until the end of the Olympics.
0: Not every this is like the second. So they've you only do two competitions in like the normal Grand Prix season, and then you'll do like the final. But put your money on them this week, and put your money on them. I think it's the first weekend of December. Good to know. <laughs> uh, and then, then we'll move to ice dance. So for favorites. This isn't actually that hard to say, but Gabriella Papadakis and Guillaume Ciceron, who are from France, are Olympic silver medalists, world champions, European champions. I Uh, mean, generally,
1: that kind of resume points to probably a high degree of success.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, there is the chance that they do lose. Um, Never say never.
1: Are you hoping on that chance?
0: I'd actually say no. Um, just because I do like some of their programs. This year's, I have not actually decided whether I like them or not. (laughs) Sounds really bad. In all honesty, I actually want Alexandra Stepanova and Ivan Bukin to win this competition. It's probably not realistic though, because they've dealt with some injuries in the off season. They're probably the third best team at this event um, because I think that Madison Hubble and Zachary Donahue are the team uh, that will test Papadakis and on the most. They won Skate America two weeks ago now, and they should get second. They can get first, but the other team, which is really exciting to watch, is another Chinese team, uh, which is Lang and Liu. They just have that theatrical nature that, like, I really sells it in figure skating, but ice dance even more so. So they really grab your attention and should. well i would say that they are a good chance to finish in the top four
1: very exciting and i mean the ice down seems like it's uh i think it's there for the french taking as, as much as you don't want to admit it
0: no it is it like realistically it is they were um very close to winning olympic gold in 2018 uh they've only really lost one competition in the past couple of years um, quite shocking the competition that they lost and some people may have been saying that it was rigged not me i just thought that their judging took a very long time and it was a bit weird (laughs) but they are best team as far as like scoring goes and the standard of how scoring has been for the past couple of years by far as i said Steppenover and Buchan are probably my favorite team from this event um but I don't think that it's realistic given injuries and it's again their first time competing this year as well. So you just never know.
1: Yeah well, there's plenty ahead over the rest of the season.
0: Figure skating's crazy. Speed skating's still going on and those events have also been very entertaining, but we're kind of out of time for speed skating today unfortunately. So this has been Ascending Olympus. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Ascending AscendingOllyPod. Be sure to check out our reels on Instagram specifically because they're getting better with each
1: week. Don't they are. Say, Dan. They are, but um, that's sort of the star of the reels, isn't it?
0: You can, like, sit there and, like, look impressive yourself. I think it's my editing skills, if anything. It
1: is definitely your editing skills. <laughs> There's no question.
0: But thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.